Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Uh, I love gathering with you guys. Um, and it's not because Ashley and I get to shepherd. That's, um, that's an added bonus and uh, privilege and, and honor. And, uh, but I, I would come and worship the Lord here if I had no role. And um, it's because uh, I, can't, I can't find another one of you. I can't find another Casey. I can't find another Amanda. I can't find another Joseph and Mary Borsch, fittingly named from the Bible. Um, I can't find another Sandon Smith. I can't find another Dave and Liz Luck. I, um, the Lord has knit my heart uh, to my, my people, my family, my Alexis and Hannah and, and our, our sound shepherd, Judd Gooden. And, and I'm so great. I, I just love pulling in here and seeing uh, our, our security guards who've become like family, you know? At first we hired them, we still pay them, but now they're like part of the family. Like, I just love seeing them. And, and God is always doing something really special when we, when we gather. I, I feel like... Um, I feel like the Lord is helping us reimagine what success looks like in the church. Because um, for, for many years, uh, and still in, in, in many places, it's about, it's about metrics, you know? It's, it's about how many this and that, and, and, um, and tithing, and all this stuff, all these measurable things. Um, are these measures of success in a church, but the most successful man in all of history died like a thief for the thieves. The greatest measure and most successful moment in history was you know, someone laying down their life for us. And, and I'm really excited because I'm, I'm seeing the fruit of, of that love and that ministry in, in our hearts. Like I look around the room and I see people who are laying down their, their lives for one another. And, you know, uh, John chapter 6 is one of my, one of my favorites. Um, if you open in your Bibles, open to John 6. It's a, it's a really cool chapter. I think it, it shows us a lot about what's important in, um, in a gathering of saints. And can, can someone shout out the, uh, the heading of the chapter of John 6? What does it say happens right at the, the get-go? Pretty awesome, right? Like an incredible miracle. We're all very familiar with it. It's not the topic of the, the message today, but it's an incredible moment where, where Jesus feeds an enormous amount of people from a very small amount of food. How did, I mean, just, I just wonder about what that looked like all the time. But um, so there's this incredible miracle where Jesus feeds the hungry. And then um, as if that wasn't cool enough, he'd go, he, he went ahead and walked on water, which was awesome. The disciples were rowing, you know, unsuccessfully in a boat and Jesus shows up. Not only did he get in the boat, did you guys ever catch that once he got in the boat, immediately they were at their destination? Like he translated, he transported an entire boatload of people 
And, and so John chapter six, um, theologians call like the, these years or these, this season of Jesus's ministry, the, the popular years or the popular season where he's just, he's gathering so many people. People are, are hearing about the, the miracles and the multiplying of food and, and this guy that walks on water and this guy that, you know, heals people. There's these crazy stories of this rabbi and people are saying like, you just have to hear the words that come out of his lips. He doesn't sound like any other rabbi. There's like real authority, substance, something, something eternal that calls to you when you hear his voice. You just gotta hear him. And so all of these incredible things are happening. And then John chapter six is this convergence moment. Jesus's church is enormous. If you read through here, and most historians will agree, there were upwards of six to 10,000 people by the, by the time you get to the middle of John chapter six, and some of them came, you know, because they were hungry. There was like a multitude of different reasons why people came. They, they heard that he could multiply food, so they're there for a meal. Some came out of curiosity to hear what everyone is talking about. Some uh, have heard him before and just have to hear him again, you know? They're, they have to get a glimpse of his face. And so there are thousands of people. And you know what? I bet the disciples were feeling pretty good about life at that point. You know, because when they left everything to follow the Lord, they were probably being judged by their family as idiots, that they, that they would leave their, their station in life. They would leave their businesses. They would leave whatever they had to leave to go on a journey, just a walkabout with this mystical rabbi. But now, now they've got the numbers. Now they've got a mega church. And if I were to retitle this chapter, I would title it, How Jesus Ruins a Mega Church. Because <laughs> he's got the biggest crowd he's ever had. He has the opportunity to do what the disciples thought he would do, which is to march towards Rome, you know, declare, declare the freedom of the Jewish nation, you know, get out of subjugation of the, the Roman rule. That's what a lot of people were thinking the Messiah would do, would physically deliver the people of Israel from the hand of Rome. But Jesus had a much deeper deliverance that he had in mind for everyone. And so all of these people are gathered and Jesus starts, basically, he, he pokes at Moses a little bit, which is really a no-no with you know, all the people of the age and saying things like, your forefathers ate Moses' bread. You know, they ate the bread that came down from heaven in the wilderness and they died. But he who eats of this bread shall live forever. And it, you can imagine thousands of people being like, what did he, what did he say? Did he, did he say what he think he said? And then he, he, like re, he really affirms their fears and says, no, I am the bread. You have to eat me. My flesh <laughs> is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He who eats of this bread will, will live forever. You have to eat this bread to have eternal life. And, and 
thousands of people came to hear you know, what they, what they thought was going to be this message that would change their lives. You know, some, something that they could apply to their lives and be better humans. But instead they heard the ravings of a maniac saying that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And he didn't even explain himself, y'all. It was so not pastoral. Like a pastor, like what I do, like when things get weird in here, which they do, I get up on stage and I say, well, there's a Bible verse for this, right, people? And then I explain it and everyone feels safe and then the laughter continues or someone's rolling across the floor. You know, like that's the pastoral thing to do is, is really explain what you're saying, but Jesus doesn't do it. He just leaves it this big mystery and just confuses people. So if you're ever wondering like, you know, Jesus, I wanna preach just like you. <laughs> Woo, baby, you better be ready. Because <laughs> Jesus would offend the religious and confuse the heck out of people. He would talk in parables, and, but he would plant seeds in people's hearts they could never ever dislodge. 10,000 people that day didn't know what he was saying, but they never forgot what he said. And so there comes this moment when the disciples are seeing you know, their, whole, their whole crowd get confused, offended, angered. Like, we walked across the countryside for this? We rode a boat across the lake for this? We've been without food and he's not even gonna multiply food again? Like, <clears throat> I remember... Um, you know, several years ago, my in-laws came in town and they think I'm really weird, and, which is fine. They, they don't understand how, how the, this works. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> it just so happened that I was invited to preach in Dallas while they were in town. And I was thinking, yes, this will legitimize me in their minds. They're gonna to come to church and they're gonna see that I get to preach in front of a bunch of people. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people wanna hear what I have to say and now my in-laws, you know, won't look down on me anymore. I'll finally get to pray at Thanksgiving dinner. You know, like... <laughs> Which, of course is you know, something that needed to be worked through in my heart, which is why I'm confessing it to all of you right now. Thank you for, for being my group therapist. Um, but this is, this is probably what like, the disciples were feeling. All of these people legitimize what we're doing. But Jesus had a completely different measure of success. He only said what he heard the Father saying. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And so he knew that it was time to give the cannibal message. <laughs> Look at uh, verse 666. 
John 6.66. Someone just shout, oh, there it is. As a result of this, many of his, what's that word? Not just the crowd, y'all. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and followed him no more, or were not walking with Jesus anymore. And so you can imagine the 12, you know, they're, they're thinking uh, this didn't go anything like expected, and they're watching people they, they've probably run into from their hometowns. They're, they're watching their friends and you know, acquaintances and you know, just thousands of people turn and leave the one that they chose to follow. And, and some of them weren't just people that came for the free meal. They were actually disciples. They were people who had been with Jesus through more, more connection, more, more moments with, with Jesus. And sometimes I wonder what life looked like for those disciples who decided to follow him no more, to walk with him no more. And, um, and I, I imagine what it must have been like to be one of those who, who left. And I want to speak to some of you in this room today, and you might be confused uh, by the words of Jesus, and you might be hurt by the church, and you might be feeling like you are actually a about to be one of those ones who walks away and decides to be with Jesus no more. Um, but you're not gonna be able to shake him. He'll go with you. The US church is actually bleeding out people right now. And um, it's a very complicated uh, situation and I don't pretend to know all of the, the answers. But I think that from this chapter, um, we learned two important keys for how to endure when uh, following Jesus no longer makes sense, when you're offended by something that happened in the church, when you're offended by a leader, when you're hurt. How do you actually endure through those seasons? And I think it happens after uh, these, these two keys come from when Jesus turns to his closest friends, the ones he chose, the 12, and he says, do you guys want to leave me too? And I, the last time I, I really meditated on this verse, I felt like I saw a different demeanor in Jesus. It wasn't like a accusatory or like, are y'all gonna leave me too now? I saw a gentleness on him and it was as if he was giving them permission. If you wanna leave me too, you can. Because he's no strings attached. He doesn't control or force you to be part of his posse, right? And I bet some of those disciples, now I, I know every single one of them had a moment where they're like, the getting looks pretty good right now because this doesn't look anything like what I signed up for. And I could just slink away in this crowd, you know, 99.9% .9 of humanity can't be wrong. But Jesus turns to him and says, do you guys wanna leave me too? And, and Peter says, to whom? 
to whom? Now, usually when people answer a question like that, we would use a different word. It would be where. Where am I going to go, Lord? But something had happened in Peter's heart. Home was no longer a location. It was a person. I can't find another Casey. I can't find another Ryan and Hannah Crowell. I can't find another Joseph and Mary. I can't find another Jimmy Patrick or Andrew Brock. I can't. To whom? See, Peter's home was no longer a physical location, but it was the people that he was meant to do life with. Specifically, Jesus at the center of it, of course, to whom? There's no other rabbi like you. And then he gives us the, the other key. The first key is, is to whom? It's that, that question. Who, where am I going to find another friend like this, friend like that? And I want to take it just, just a sidebar moment. You know that like the, you know, the one thing, adoration, the beauty of the Lord, this one thing I seek, Psalm 27, it's, you know, to gaze upon your beauty, inquire of you in, in the temple all the days of my life. God has brought an element of that reality and put it inside the person sitting next to you. And part of the beauty of Christ and the one thing reality is seeing Jesus in the person that you're sitting with right now. In fact, just look around the room, like Christ in us, the hope of glory. Did not Jesus come to put his spirit inside all of us and reunite humanity under the banner of his love? Is that not why we take communion every Sunday is to remember him, to become, to rejoice and celebrate our oneness? Communion is two words, it's common union. And what is our common union is that we are united in Christ. He's in us, we're in him, and he's in the Father. Okay, so key number one to enduring through offense is you have already cultivated relationships that you cannot replace. Right? To whom shall we go? And number two is the next thing that Peter says. What does he say, guys? Only you have the words of eternal life. When God, um, when God handed us this church five-ish years ago, I feel like he looked at me and said, asked, you got this? And I was like, Sometimes I have to dig through the trash to reread the instructions on the mac and cheese, God. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm really going to need you. <laughs> I felt like you was like, you'd be perfect. <laughs> Just what we're looking for. <laughs> And I understand, like, anyone who's ever been in any kind of role where you felt ill-prepared, Ill you probably understand Moses' sentiment. It's like, are you going to go with me through this? Like, as long as you're in this, then I think it'll, I think it'll be okay in spite of me. Um, 
<clears throat> so I, I have a question for, for you guys, because um, this is the gathering of the saints. Um, we don't have as many people as you read about in John chapter 6. That's never going to be our goal. Our goal is always going to be to put the Holy Spirit center stage. But why are you here? Why did you set an alarm clock on a weekend? Why did you pack up all of those kids, <laughs> drive across town to, to gather? Like, what, what drove you to be in this physical location with these people today? And I think that's an important question for us to ask, not from a place of um, pride or, or, or doubt, but to really wonder why, why the gathering of the saints. You know, the biblical reasons that people sought out Jesus were to hear him, to be healed by him, and to worship him. And I believe that those are the, the same reasons today. There are these checkpoints all throughout the book of Acts that as the church is growing, there's this key phrase, and it says, and many were added to their number. And many were added to their number, and many were added to their number. And they're, the, they're like almost these chapter division points for the whole book of Acts, these great moments where the church advanced. And in the first century, your relationship with Jesus wasn't like a personal relationship. That's important. Like, you, you know how to pray. But back then, it's... It's always been you are added to the sacred gathering that represents the body of Christ on planet Earth. And the absolute worst thing that could happen to someone who'd like fallen into sin or is you know, screwing up in a, in a big way, they're just on, on the struggle bus of life and they've made a huge mess. The worst thing that could happen to a first century believer is they were asked to not come back to the community. There's nothing worse that could happen for a believer than to be removed from community. And beloved, I want you to hear this with open ears. I'm not being harsh at all, but we find any reason to leave the community. And back then, everyone was searching for any reason possible to try to keep this person in the community. So, why do we gather? Can you put up that, that first slide? I was able to boil the entire New Testament down into one slide. Watch this. This is incredible. <laughs> the law and the prophets built on this. Jesus' life summed up that right there. Just, just leave that one up there until we get to the next one. That's just powerful to look at. Um, doesn't it seem almost like Jesus would, would bend some of the rules or the purpose of his mission, almost go on complete detours to just go love the one? 
You know that he left a revival to go to a man who is possessed by a legion of demons? If you read it, he was hurried in his spirit. He, ha- he like had to get in the boat and he's telling the disciples, come on, come on, come on, we gotta go to the other side. And they're like, but we have a revival breaking out right here. And Jesus is like, other side, now. You know, he hears the cries of the brokenhearted, that man who was bellowing out in the graveyard. Jesus could hear it in the spirit from the other side of the lake. He leaves the 99 for the one. Or the, uh, the woman at the well. He's, he, he goes on this detour and you know, talks to this woman. And both, both the, the demoniac and the woman at the well, you know what happened? They became the biggest evangelists in the entire region. Like they turned an entire town upside down because they were treated as special, redignified, loved in that moment by someone who saw them. He just loves the stuffing out of every single person he runs into. And he will like, it'll look like he is going on a complete detour and forgetting the mission or the vision of the church to go and love one. He sees Mary weeping as he's ascending to the father and says, Dad, hold on. I have to go and love Mary. She has a broken heart. She has to see me first, right? It's the most important moment in human history, Jesus ascending to the Father after the resurrection, and he goes, hold on, Mary. He loves the one. It might sound really cliche, but life is too hard to go it alone. And Jesus, the the glory of the incarnation, the, the whole person of Jesus, isn't just that he communicated something about God, he showed God his very self. He showed the very essence of being. He wasn't a... He didn't come with a message from heaven. He is the message from heaven. And, when, and so when you see what he does, it is what God is like. And what Jesus did is he chose friends. And he didn't give up on them. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he treats like every family gathering, every meal, like it's a holy friendship feast. You know, like he does these simple, they they journey together. They adventure together. Look at the life of Jesus. The only person who needed no help chose 12 helpers. He could have handled it himself. He's God. But that wasn't his mission. His mission was to unite humanity. And that's why he chose a ragtag crew of 12 people. If we're not intimately connected to people, it's really time to figure out why. If we're um, afraid to walk through the doors of a small group, uh, afraid to go to this gathering or that gathering, um, we can come up with a million great excuses. Like I know them all, I put them all through my own brain. Like when it's time to go to a gathering or a conference or whatever, like or a early morning, you know, taco situation, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but 
if there, it, it's really time for us to invite the Holy Spirit in there because there might be brokenness where, um, where you're considering something not worthwhile that he thought was worth it all. I'm talking about yourself, the, the treasure that is you. No one else can love you like I, right? We're absolutely unique. There's not another expression of Christ on the earth just like you. Um, and, and I also want to say it can't always be the church's fault, <laughs> right? Uh, there, there are some, some difficult places that all of us have been in community when a lot of us have face sheep bites and shepherd bites. Um, <laughs> maybe it's like the crook. I don't know, shepherd's crook. But um, <clears throat> I recently uh, was in an airport and needed a bottle of water, um, and it was $5. And I'm just like any other man. I'm like, what, did they bottle this in Shangri-La? Like, it's come from the, the wells of Atlantis? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, give me the water. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, that Walmart or that bottle is one dollar at Walmart. Or uh, I went to an FC Dallas game, which was so much fun, uh, and a bottle of water was I don't know, like six dollars. You go to a concert, they'll charge you like eight dollars for a bottle of water, and it's all the exact same water. So uh, maybe you've always been worth a lot more, but you've just been in the wrong place. I'm not, this isn't like, I'm not trying to grow the church right now. I'm, I'm speaking to our hearts and I'm speaking to me because we'll screw it up too. Like everyone in here, we all have hurt someone and we look back at the great, probably the greatest regrets of your life, the moment you could wish you could go back and change is the moment that you hurt someone, right? And, and it'll happen here. <laughs> Welcome. We're, we're going to hurt you. Like... <laughs> Not on purpose, <laughs> except for Casey. He'll hurt you on purpose. No, I'm kidding. Um, just kidding. He <laughs> said, I'm about to. <laughs> Casey is the most bizarre elder that ever eldered, okay? He <laughs> is perfect. I couldn't imagine a better elder for the, the city of Frisco and for this body. He just accidentally heals people and purposefully heals people. Just incredible. Um, <laughs> every spiritual oppression in our life has the same goal, and it is to isolate us. That's, that's it. To, to make you think that you're unlovable or to make you act in a way that is really hard for people to love you. That is the whole purpose of all spiritual oppression, it's to isolate because uh, sheep are not good on their own, right? We absolutely need one another. And again, I'm not saying it's here, but if you're not intimately involved like, in a church, like in, if you're not connected in a vital way where the flow of Christ's power is coming in and out of your life through your connection with the church, then you are not living rightly. Amen. 
glory, this is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> uh, we are a prayer room. We, we love to minister to the heart of God through worship and prayer. Um, but I want to uh, highlight something. It's both a warning and it's like something I've seen happen in, in many different places that have the, the mission to be a place, like a prayer room, a place of ministry straight to God. And that it is, for a lot of people, easier to uh, disappear into a place of worship and meditation than to deal with the difficulties of having deep friendships with humans. It's something we absolutely need, but we need both, okay? I mentioned this last week, like, uh, you'll never get close enough to God to not need people. You'll never get spiritual enough to graduate from community. Now I'm already thinking of Enoch, but what about Enoch? No. <laughs> if you're an Enoch, so long, farewell. <laughs> we'll never be spiritual enough not to need people, and uh, we'll, we'll never find a, a community and have great enough friendships not to need God. We need both. We need the secret place. We need a, an intimate connection with God where we feel his affection, that mystical life of encounter with him. And, but we also, we also need people because uh, this community won't save you from things that only God can save you from. For example, it's 3 a.m., your mind is racing, terrors come over you, panic. It's the terror of the night from Psalm 91. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> Casey's, not gonna, Casey's not gonna answer. It's, it's airplane mode, baby. <laughs> Only God can save you from the terror of the night. Only his voice, only his scriptures, only your history with him. Conversely, your garbage disposal breaks down and you don't know how to use a screwdriver. God's not gonna change your garbage disposal, is he? But someone from church will. God's not gonna change your flat tire, but someone from church will. We absolutely need one another. And, there, and I'm talking about when we're actually receiving, but it's also so wonderful to give. Like we need the opportunity to love people. If you're never weak, then I don't get to be strong. Like if you don't bring your problem, I don't get to have the glory of bringing a solution and vice versa. If, I don't, if I'm not honest about something that I need, then someone doesn't get the opportunity to show up for me. Israel Lambert came and changed the plumbing underneath my toilet one day. And I was like, Israel? <laughs> I love you forever, man. <laughs> you know, that, that comes through community, through connection, and it's time for us to take a look at anything that is keeping us, preventing us from being able to be intimately connected with people. And Ashley had something she wanted to share. Welcome, Ashley Shuck, about family. I just, I felt impressed during worship that I wanted to share a quick story along the lines of what I knew Jeremy was gonna be talking about um, uh, 
quite a number of years ago, um, Jeremy and I felt called by the Lord and we sold everything to go and start a church in another state. And um, we were helping some other people who were start, had started kind of a prayer gathering. And we were like, we're going to go. We're going to help you pastor this thing. And when we got there, I mean, the people that we had met and that we were running with, we didn't know them very well, but they'd heard about us. And they had, we had quite a reputation of being people of integrity, honor, fam- you know, who love family, do family well. Ministry ninjas. <laughs> and so, <laughs> sure. So we went in with, with, a, with an amount of reputation. And for the first few months, it was great. Things began to grow until suddenly Jeremy said something that was confusing or questionable. Or we didn't behave the way that was expected. And what happens in those moments we learned is that um, reputation cannot replace history with people. Because when it happens is when we get into a conflict, we get into a place where we feel suddenly unsafe, we rely on our experience rather than what we know or what we've heard of about someone. And so fear begins to take over and disunity began to happen in that place. And similarly, I can come to church and I can hear a lot about who God is, but if I don't get the time to be with him and create a history in God, in his word, in his presence, then when the day of trial comes, he's not going to be who I know him to be. He's going to be who I've heard him to be, but I'm going to rely on my experience rather on who I know him to be. Does that make sense? And Mm -hmm. so there's a beauty in this place where we want to create a a group of messy people who are walking through messes together because the truth of the matter is the way that history is created is through conflict and walking through it because you don't know that you can trust me until... I've had the opportunity or you've had the opportunity for us to let one another down and we've been able to walk through it triumphantly in love and vulnerability together. And so that's the kind of, the kind of thing that we want with God and with people. Amen? Yeah, it's so good, babe. I married her because she preaches well. <laughs> That's so good. So good, babe. Um, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do now? When Jesus was sharing those words that we read in John 6, he was giving the key to unity but what happened is division. And often when pastors stand up here and say, get involved in small group, come to women's event, go to the men's breakfast, we, it's reminiscent of a fear of control. We're like, we don't wanna get hurt again. And the very message that was meant to bring us unity causes us to, to divide. And we think that's just another one of those controlling churches that's just trying to be big or whatever. Like, and um, I want us to just, uh, be honest about that with the Lord right now. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for the church that you established, not just this church, but the church, capital C, 
the, the union under Christ across the world. And we thank you, God, that we're part of it. We play a part, but we also thank you for what's going on in these four walls and in every home that is represented in this church. We thank you, God, that you've given us the incredible joy of being deeply connected to one another and you. We get to enjoy one another enjoying you, and we get to enjoy you enjoying us enjoying one another. We thank you, Lord, that we get to do this. I pray for healing to flow uh, that all church wounds would be healed. It, anyone in the room that was once a church leader, a ministry department head, anything, a finance person in church, God, help them. Lord, <laughs> anyone who's experienced the, the, the other side of, of the curtain, so to speak, we pray for healing to flow in their hearts. And we pray for every person in the room that's been hurt within community, Lord, that they weren't Valued. They didn't get treated like an $8 bottle of water, Jesus. <laughs> we pray for healing to flow, Lord. We pray that we would know our worth in your eyes and that you would continue to intimately knit this community. In Jesus' name, amen.